0: So we've been moving through Ephesians, and we come this morning to the scripture that we see on our, our graphic. So this is really, if there was a thesis statement in, a, in this letter to the Ephesians, I don't think Paul thought in those ways necessarily, but if there was, we would be hitting it today. One body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, God, and Father. We're also, actually also hitting a somewhat of a turning point in the letter. So a lot of the work so far has been somewhat theological and now it's going to be moving more to the moral. So more of what God has done and now what you need to do. They're, they're intertwined. You can't completely separate them. But there's certainly a change of tone that's happening in this letter. Before we read that though, I wanted to share with you uh, once again something that happened in my life this year when I traveled to Cambodia. Eight thousand miles away, I went there primarily so I would have more sermon illustrations if you want to know the truth <laughs> no that 's not true that 's not the truth, but I do like the fact that whenever I travel and, and serve in ways that are outside my comfort zone, um, it does God does tend to speak to me in a lot of ways that um, that, that seem to sustain me as I go forward and eight thousand miles is a long. Long ways. This is my first. This was my first time flying across the Pacific Ocean. I know you've done that many times, We're Going to do it again soon. Um, it's a. It's incredible how big that ocean is. I mean, it's shocking if you if you look on a on a map, you realize that. Um, and I think I heard this in a commercial recently. Right now, where we're at in Seattle, we're just about as close to Western Europe as we are to Asia. That's how big the Pacific Ocean is. And so it was my first time flying across the ocean. I went all the way across the ocean to a country I'd never been to, to an airport I'd never been to. And I only knew one person in that place, my friend Phil. And because of some you know, scheduling issues that's happened with flights and all that, the rest of the team had already arrived and were doing their thing. So I'm showing up there and I know nobody. And I don't know the language, I don't know anything. And I met, the first person I met was the woman who came to pick me up, and her name was Mercy. great name. Mercy came and picked me up in a tuk-tuk. These tuk-tuks are these just open-air little, I don't know, it's almost like a glorified golf cart, if you want to know the truth. And this is like their taxi. This is how you get around. And like I said, they're open-air. They usually have, have covering because it rains a lot there. So I have a covering, but they're open on the sides. They've got two seats that face each other. And so you sit kind of with your knees, you know, against each other. And it's like a motorcycle on the front. It's basically like a motorcycle engine that drives you around. So I meet Mercy, who I've never met. And she found me pretty quickly. And so she had been living there and serving there. She's from the U.S., but she had been serving there as a missionary. And we had a tuk-tuk drive from there to the the hotel um, through Phnom Penh, which is... Unbelievable! I mean, I, this is, again, my first time in Asia, so I hadn't quite experienced the claustrophobia of traffic in, the, in that kind of a place. I mean, just packed. Everything is packed. There's just, like, no space for anything, and somehow they make their way through. And so in that drive from the airport to the hotel, Mercy and I were sharing, introducing ourselves, sharing who we are and talking. <clears throat> and so much happened. I mean, there was just this instant... Connection as we began to share our lives together. And by the time we had arrived at the hotel, I knew all this stuff. And so it came about Mercy's life, and became this ongoing joke, sort of amongst the team through the rest of the week. Because someone would say something about Mercy, and I would say, "Oh yeah, she told me about that in the tuck tuck drive." And then I would say, "How long was your tuck tuck drive?" You know everything about Mercy, and we just we just shared and opened up. And why did that happen? I'd never met this woman before in my life. I'm an introvert. This isn't my normal way of just sort of opening up. Because we were 8,000 miles away from home for Jesus Christ. I didn't know her church background. I didn't know her family background. I knew nothing about her other than the fact that this was a sister in Christ. And she knew that I was a brother in Christ. And so we shared and we opened up. There's something powerful about the body of Christ, as Paul will call it. And I want us to hear this morning this, really the heart of the message that Paul is wanting to communicate to this church that is struggling with being divided. So this is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord... One God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we know that these words were written for us as well, for your church in 2018. You wanted us to hear this, This That's how your spirit works. So may we be open to your instruction and your guidance through the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to do something I don't <clears throat> normally do as I'm preaching, but I'd like to work through this um, verse by verse and just look at a, a few of the things that Paul is wanting to get across in this message. Like I said, it really becomes a... a he's been leading up to this, and he just states it powerfully, as clearly as he can here, and then he's going he's to be moving on. And giving them more of, okay, how this, how this works out in all parts of your life, like in your family and in your marriage. And all these other things, not just in the church. So verse 1, Paul says, I therefore the prisoner in the Lord, which I think we mentioned, I mentioned this last week. But he's writing from prison, we believe. But this could also be translated a prisoner of the Lord, depending on how you translate this. In other words, he, he believes that he is um, in the place he's at. Because of what God's doing. And he wants to remind the Ephesians of that. Because he was thrown in jail because of divisions among his people. Among those he had come from. Among his, his family, really. The, the Jews back in Jerusalem, that he, where he'd grown up. And he'd, they were the ones who wanted him imprisoned. But Paul sees it differently. He says, no, I'm, I'm doing this for the Lord. There's something God wants to do through this. So he can be sitting in prison and doing that. And then Paul, is, is, he's now getting to how he wants us to respond. So we get to hear a little bit of that. He's laid out all the stuff that we've heard so far in Ephesians. You've been adopted. You may think you're, you're from different families, but in Jesus Christ, you've been made one. You're all children of God. Um, you've been given a rich inheritance. No matter where you come from on the social spectrum, rich or poor, you've all been given a rich inheritance, which is a mission. It's something that God wants you to continue, that Jesus started. And we all have the same one. You were dead, but you've given full, been given full life in Jesus Christ. And he brings in that whole image. They've all been baptized. So you've, you've, been, you've been died with Christ, and you've been resurrected. You've been made to given life. You were outsiders. You were non-citizens of God's kingdom. And you've been made insiders. You've been made citizens of the kingdom of God. So he's laid all of this out, and then he says... Therefore, live a life that's worthy of what God has done for you. And if you want to get back into the Greek here, he actually says the word is walk. It's not live a life. I think that's a good translation of what he's getting at. But I like that image of walking. It's the idea of walk the path, walk the road that's worthy of what God has done for you in your life. All of this, all of what God has done cause, is, is calls for a response. Whenever we get into this, I, I know there's a temptation, and this is what we really wrestle with. There's a temptation to say, I have not been worthy, and therefore I wonder if God still loves me. I mean, we may not say it in that way, or if some people might even go so far as to say, Am I saved? This isn't about salvation now. Paul's already laid all that out. He said as clearly as he can that no one is worthy. God did all the action. God did the calling. Jesus died. That's what gave you life. You just respond to that gift, he calls it in Ephesians. Okay? He's laid all that out. And now he says, okay, so that's all true. But there's a response. Doesn't it demand a response? You you have to choose something. You can't just sit there like a bump on the log. God wants us to respond. So the response is not how we earn favor with God. It's not how we make God love us more, or how we make God happy. But the response is because of what God has done, we want to do it. So he says, live a life that's worthy. And then in verse two and three, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So again, we talked about this last week, but humility is too often devalued. I mean, in our culture, it's very devalued. But Paul has just said, okay, in light of everything that's happened, you should live a certain way. Everything that God's done for you means you should live a certain way. And what does he start with? Humility. He starts with humility. If you know someone who claims to know Jesus Christ, and they are not living in humility, they've missed step one of response. Humility. And then he goes on, I'm not going to talk about that too much today, because I spent a lot of time talking about that last week. But he goes on and he says, he names a few other things. Gentleness, patience, patience, bearing with one another in love. What I like about all these things that Paul is saying here is that he is not naive. He knows that there's division within this church. He knows, I believe, he knows how difficult it is to say, you've now been given brothers and sisters and there might be people you don't like. (laughs) That's part of the truth of the gospel. And so he says, here's how you should respond (laughs) Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, in love. In fact, again, you could translate this, and some have, and said, bearing one another in love. Some of your translations may say that. And I like that one better. Because that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, how do you respond? You're divided, so you need to bear one another. You need to suffer the part of being family, it's going to be hard. But if there's division and you can respond with humility, if you can respond with gentleness, if you can respond with patience, if you can put up with the others, because Christ put up with you, then you can have unity. Things will change. I mean, it's just, it's just good, basic relationship, conflict management advice. How do you respond? Well, respond the way Christ responded to you. Humility, patience, gentleness. Bear with one another. There are going to be problems. There are going to be conflicts. Uh, I think part of the problem that we sometimes have in our churches, which don't usually manifest until they get really big, And then there's a big conflict and a blow up and leadership problems they divide and all that kind of stuff. I think one of the problems we have is because people assume that being part of a church means you're not going to have any conflicts or confrontations with one another. So when it happens, they don't know what to do except just leave each other. And this is, I mean, this is a reflection of our culture and how we often respond to relationships. When things get hard, we just distance ourselves from the other because it's easier than having to work through problems. (laughs) <laughs> there's a there's a verse in uh, Luke 9:41, and I like it. Okay, you may not like it, but I like this because Jesus comes down from a, a hill where He's you know been with some of the two of His disciples, and this other disciples are trying to do some healing, and there's a child who's possessed and has it sounds like epilepsy, I think we would call it, and they're unable to heal him, and Jesus responds in 9:41 and says. You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? <laughs> and I like it because, uh, to be honest, in ministry, I've used that one. At the end of every youth retreat, that was my go-to verse. Oh God, how much longer must I bear with them, right? I mean, it's just that when you serve, when you just serve and love other people, that's, that's an honest, genuine response. I like the fact that Jesus took that on his lips. And of course, what does he do? Well, he heals the kid, and he instructs his disciples. He doesn't just leave them, but the fact that he seems to just express it, and it gets recorded in Scripture. This is hard, bearing with people who are slow to learn, right? Who are slow to change. And then Paul goes on, he says, talks about the, you know, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Again, culturally, we live in a society where everything is disposable, I just got a brand new water heater for my house, and I'm told if I'm lucky, it'll get me eight years for water heater. I mean, we just, we make things now, of course, uh, the stuff we make, is so much of it is disposable. When I went to Cambodia, there's this one um, place we went to which is down near, it looked like, I would call it like a creek, but it was kind of like a little lagoon, and all the houses are on stilts, so you know how high the water gets. In fact, we had ministry underneath One of the homes, and I could stand up underneath the whole thing. We played soccer under there. That gives you an idea of how big it is. And down in this little lagoon, the entire surface was covered in floating trash and plastic. Now we'd seen this throughout Cambodia. You know they don't have a lot of the same sanitation systems and stuff that we do, so it didn't surprise me, but. I don't remember why, but the the man we were with, who was the pastor doing his church in this community, this was his mom's house, and he told us, he said, yeah, I used to swim in here when I was a kid. Uh, Oh, man, it's nasty. He goes, there was no trash. He goes, it's only been since Cambodia started importing all the plastics and all these other, you know, containers and all these products. And then it all of a sudden just filled up all of our rivers and everything. So he could remember a time when it didn't look like that. I mean, we've made so much. It's just disposable. We use it, we chuck it, we throw it away. When I did the um, years I've been doing, you know, little league and sports, um, you know, kids just their parents pull them off teams and switch teams anytime things get hard. If they don't like a coach, if they don't like another parent on the team, if they don't like how their team's winning or losing record is going, they just pull them out and then they find someone else, or they you know they move to a completely different league. Maybe a coach will just take a team and move on. We do that because we don't want to push through what's hard. I I was talking to a parent. I believe it was a Calvin soccer game um, last week. And they had said something that was kind of shocking to me because we were talking about this. And they said that their child had been on a team the year prior where the coach was kind of like a drill sergeant, kind of hard. And I had said, oh, I'm sorry. That's that's unfortunate because this was a six-year-old kid. She said, no, I think it's good for him. It's good for them to have a coach kind of like that sometimes because they're going to have people like that in their life. It's good for them to learn how to work through that. I thought, what a healthy attitude. It just shocked me. I don't hear that very much anymore. We We treat our relationships as being disposable. Our stuff is disposable. So why would church be any different? And unfortunately, sometimes it's just not. When one community becomes uncomfortable because people confront us on something and because relationships get a little bit tense, we go find another. If a pastor says something we don't like, we go somewhere else. And I'm not saying this because we should never do this. Okay, don't get me wrong. I know there are times when it's important to leave. I'm sure there are churches that if I joined, there would be some things that could happen that would make me want to leave. But what I'm saying is that tends to be our default. Because of everything else in our culture. And so what I want to say is as a church community, I think Paul is, you know, he's wanting to build this in to the early church from the beginning. This idea that it's not going to be easy, but it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard because we're supposed to, we're called to live and love others like Jesus did. And it wasn't easy for him. We're not easy to love. The Gospel calls us to a higher standard when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ especially. Why is that? Why? And he goes on and he talks about oneness. What it means to be one. There's only one church. There's one body. That's the language Paul likes to use for the church. One body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. When God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all." I know this can be confusing, because we don't see one church. As we meet right now, the Lutherans are meeting right over here at our Saviors, Methodists are meeting right over here, there's another one that meets over here at the Nordic Hall. I mean, we could go on and on, right? I mean, just in this community, it's hard to say there's one church. In fact, I would say that in my years of ministry, this has been one of the most common questions I've had from people, has been wanting to understand the differences between the different churches and denominations. And how, you know, what that means. Like, if you're going to come here, what does that mean if we say we're Presbyterian? I mean, those are good questions. And we don't see one church, but Paul says that's the truth. That's the reality. Whether we see it or not, There is only one church. There's only one body. Jesus doesn't have multiple bodies. There's one body. That's why he likes that word. And we're going to see another reason why he likes that word when we talk about the parts of the body soon. That's next week. There's one spirit. God doesn't give a message or a mission that conflicts with the spirit as the spirit is inspired inspired in Scripture. This is why we say that this is our standard for us. Because... We know that the Spirit is active and moving and doing new things, but there's only one Spirit. It doesn't the Spirit of God doesn't conflict. So we can trust that when the Spirit is moving, it's going to look like the way we see the Spirit moving and working in Scripture. There's one calling and one hope. We have the same mission. We have the same resurrection hope. I'm sorry to tell you, but there's not going to be separate heavens so that you can be away from those you don't like. When we talk about eternity, there isn't a heaven for Presbyterians and Methodists and Catholics, okay? There's not a, there's not a, a heaven for Americans and Mexicans and Pakistanis. There isn't a, a heaven for the black and for the white and for the Native American. I mean, no. There's one. There's one hope, one calling that we all have. And One faith. And one Lord. When Paul says there's one Lord, what he means is that there's only one Master. Now you've got to remember, when Paul says this, they hear Lord, and they think Caesar. Okay, Maybe it would help us if it said there's one president. Because then we would understand sort of the political overtones of what Paul is saying. He's saying, for all who follow Jesus Christ, there's only one person who's in charge. There's only one boss. that's Jesus. We all share the same one. There's one faith. We all believe in the same thing. That Jesus died to forgive our sins. To reconcile us with God the Father. You know what's interesting is in the church. The way you do communion and how you talk about communion. Has been one of the things that has really caused a lot of divisions. And so still to this day. Like with our, our, I would say about Catholic brothers and sisters. One of the things that keeps us from sharing this table together is because of what we believe is happening. So just a quick overview that in the Catholic teaching, Christ is being re-sacrificed. And for those of us who are Protestant, we say, "No, that sacrifice was done once and for all. It's not happening over again. This isn't an altar. This is a table that we come around, right? So there's been uh, you know, a lot of division over those kinds of things, but there's only one faith, we all believe that however it happened and however we do communion and however that works, it's our faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done. I didn't know this until I started having to teach membership classes myself as a pastor in the Presbyterian Church. But did you know that we have one requirement for membership in the Presbyterian Church? And guess what? It's not membership class. <laughs> we have one requirement. It comes in our book of order and it says... A congregation shall welcome all persons who trust in God's grace and Jesus Christ and desire to become part of the fellowship and ministry of His church. It's the only requirement, is that you have trust in Jesus Christ. It actually goes on, and it says, just to make it really clear, it says, and no one shall be, you you can't not allow someone to join for any other reason. It's only faith in Jesus Christ. Now, for our elders and our deacons, We have a lot more requirements and a lot more expectations for those who are going to serve in leadership that they have to, you know, confess to. But faith in Jesus Christ. One faith. And one baptism. However baptism is done, whether it's, you know, done with a a little bowl, we have this seashell up here because early in the Christian church, one of the practices was to use seashells at the beach and to dip water and to pour it over people's heads. When they did baptism, for Thailand, we thought that's appropriate for our baptismal font. So sometimes we'll do, you know, we'll call it sprinkling or you know whatever way we, we put a little bit of water on. Sometimes we go to the beach, right? Like Karen, two weeks ago, we went to the beach and we, you know, put her all the way under and brought her out. And Sawyer and Gavin too. We we you know dumped them, right? Full immersion baptism. However you do it, though, we believe there's one baptism. I watched a movie years ago, I think it was called Black Robe, about the Jesuit missionaries who were coming to reach the Native Americans. I think it was a Huron tribe, if I remember right. And there's this scene where this priest is basically, you know, captive and locked up. But there's a tribe member who believes and wants to be baptized. And all he had available to himself was to do of a plant, to do the baptism. However it's done, whatever amount of water, there's only one baptism. That's why it's Presbyterians. We don't re-baptize. We, we believe that wherever you've been baptized, it's one baptism. God did it. If you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you've been baptized. One baptism. One God and Father of all. And this is one of the things that's most controversial about the Christian message in our world. The idea that there's, there's one God. There's not many gods. You don't get to choose. There's only one God. Of every person, and of course, Paul is using that parental language again—one God and Father of all, reminding that we are all His children. And then the end, He ends all of this by saying, talking about God, and and saying that there's um, He's in all, and above all, and through all, and. Um, when he says he's above all, he's basically saying, you know, he's in charge of everything. He's a ruler of everything. When he says he's through all, it's saying he's, he's working good things through all circumstances in the world. We believe that the Holy Spirit is bringing, working to bring everyone into relationship with God. He's through all. And when it says he's in all, I wanted to be really clear here because this can be confusing. We can be tempted to confuse God with creation. This is actually uh, becoming increasingly popular to, to believe. So when some people say, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And oftentimes what they mean is they believe there's a spiritual element to everything. But it's not that God is creation. The Christian message has never believed that. So it, maybe it would help us. In fact, some early translations of this uh, um, text, not translations, some early copies of this text actually added all of you. He's in all of you, just to make it clear that it's not saying God is is in everything, because God is separate from. And for those who are kind of academic and you like these kind of geeky things, I do. Um, You know, we know polytheism means many gods, right? Some believe in many gods. But pantheism is the idea that God is in um, everything or is everything. In other words, if you had a circle and that was the whole universe, and you wanted to draw God, God would also be the same circle. So God is sort of everything, and everything is God. Okay, that's, that's pantheism. And that is not what we believe as Christians. We believe that God is holy and other and separate from creation. Not that God isn't working through it all, as Paul makes clear. And then panentheism, okay, and that's the next step, would say, God is, is huge and big, but all of the known universe is sort of inside of God. So once again, God and creation become mixed and be confused. But the Christian message is that God is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not that God is us. And Paul, I think, wants them to understand That Jesus is working through everything. He's present everywhere. That's what all these alls are about. So again, emphasizing unity, oneness for the church. And God being working through everything. If I had to summarize everything that Paul was trying to say to the church, what he wanted to get through, and I wanted to put it in today's language, I think what I would say is, what unites us is vastly more powerful than what divides us. In other words, it's recognizing the divisions. That we don't all agree and think the same way. If we were to go through and interpret all this book, we would have disagreements. There's going to be divisions. But what unites us is much more powerful than what divides us. Getting back to Cambodia and my trip there, this is what I hope that all of you will have, get to experience one day if you have not. To travel to a foreign country and to meet someone like Mercy, who's from the United States and speaks my language, and to have that connection is one thing. But when that happens with people you have never met, who don't speak your language, who live in a culture completely different than you, and that is a whole other thing. So there's this this woman named sre Mom. In Cambodia, they have these markets. And they're like an open-air market, but they're covered, again, because of the rain. So when you go into these markets, the humidity and the heat just jumps up. I mean, it is just stifling. You just immediately, your shirt, you're just sweaty, and, and you're walking through these aisles. And <laughs> For those of us who don't like shopping, okay, this is the next level of torture. <laughs> because there is nowhere to sit down. There are people everywhere. It's hot, it's humid, it's loud. There's all kinds of haggling going on. It smells, Cameron would love that, all the smells of the, the open-air meats and stuff are going around in the market. And you know, you're, you're walking through this and it's so crowded and everything's so packed together that it's disorienting. You can't even find your way out, right? I mean, I, I had a hard time figuring out you can't see the sky or anything either. I mean, you had to be really careful. You could get lost in this place. And there's numerous markets, and this one called the Russian market is surrounded on all sides by a road that is crazy packed with the tuk-tuks and motorcycles and cars. And So you can't even go out to the road. There's no sidewalk to stand on. So you can't even go out to the road to escape. That's just kind of like the boundary. You just kind of know, okay, I hit the edge of the market. I mean, it is crazy. And in this market, there's this one booth that's run by this woman named Sremon, Mom fantastic story but when she was a, a child she was injured in a, a hot water accident that totally disfigured her face and it made it very difficult for her to um, you know get a job and have a living and of course you know she's not married and everything like that and I shouldn't say of course but I mean that's that's just the reality of the, how her life has worked out it's been very difficult and at one time in her life she uh, met a Christian and she ended up accepting Jesus Christ. Now in Cambodia, that's still a very rare thing. Because most people are Buddhist. And they believe in all these different elemental spirits. And they have those little shrines in front of their booths. Even in that crowded market, they have little shrines and stuff like that. Sre Mom just sells these different hand, handmade goods. And different you know trinkets that they have there. And some clothes. And so we, we made it to Sre Mom's booth. Because we had heard about her. My friend Phil visits with her every time we go and we walk in, and I have never met this woman. And what does she do? She gives me a hug, and she, she just welcomes me, and she pulls me into her booth, you know, where I was with a couple other people, and she wants us to come in. Now, keep in mind, when I say booth, what I'm talking about is like, there's all this good stack up above my head, and on the sides and everything, and I had a bag, and I was like, squeezing in like this, knocking stuff over as I'm going in, like, apologizing, and picking it up, you know, and we go in there. And and she just smiling and just you know talking you know, trying to talk to the translator and saying stuff and then um, you know and then and then she just wants to pray for us and she wants us to pray for her and so we're all just sitting there huddled together in this booth and, and praying for each other just the warmth and the hospitality and then of course she she gave, practically gave stuff away to us there was no haggling or bartering. And her booth, for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. She just wants you to get, your, get the stuff you want. You know, it's just amazing. And if I took any of you to Cambodia and introduced you to stray Mom, she would treat you the exact same way. I mean, doesn't that just blow your mind? That there's a woman right now, 8,000 miles away, who would accept you and warmly welcome you and treat you with all kinds of hospitality for no other reason and the fact that you carry the name of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's getting at you. This is way bigger than our divisions. Let's pray. Father, since I mentioned her, I think it's only appropriate that I pray for a mom right now just ask for your continued blessing on her to help her with the struggles that she has both financially and with her health and that you would continue to do miraculous things in her life Father we know that there are things that happen all the time that um, that can divide us as Christians we have another election coming up in this country but we know you're bigger than that Father, help us to have the courage to stay involved with the people you have called to you, even when it's hard. Help us to be the ones who are patient and humble and who love sacrificially as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.